0: Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Good evening, or good morning, I should say, for us on the East Coast. I am DJ Boyer, and I am here for a special edition, a special podcast. The reason I am here. So early in the morning is because the first round has concluded about an hour ago, and we're going to do a special recap of the first round. Also want to let you know that tomorrow, or actually, again, today, it is past midnight, uh, a little bit later in the day, we will be doing a preview of what to expect for rounds two and three. We will also um, be uh, going through the same format before day three. We will do a recap of day two, which will, of course, consist of the second and third round, which will kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. And we will do a preview of rounds four through seven and some players that you can look for uh, at that point and and who's going to be uh, people to watch out for. So we're going to do recaps and previews. And then again, tomorrow, make sure that website.com can see the preview Rounds two and three, which will be up for tomorrow. So the big thing, I think, for the NFL draft is not a lot of trades. We only saw two trades actually in the first round, but we'll get to that as we go through pick by pick. Um, what we thought of some of the trades, what we thought of some of the players and where they had went, and we will have a special wrap-up show once everything has concluded. Uh, But let's start with round one. And, of course, that first pick, that was something that I would say was not very dramatic. Uh, The Buccaneers made us wait uh, about six minutes or so before they did make James Winston, the quarterback from Florida State, the uh, top pick in the draft. Something that did not surprise any of us. Of course, we did expect Janus Winston to be that overall pick. Give, that, give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the franchise quarterback they've been looking for for such a long time. Again, Lovey Smith really wants that franchise quarterback in place. And as I and uh, some other people I think have agreed but me, Zach and, and Jared, have both said that the Buccaneers really don't have a lot of holes for a team picking in the number one spot. You know, they're really not in bad shape. And remember, this was a division where, well, halfway through the season, I, I believe the division leader at one point was about three or four games under 500. Uh, one point, I believe the Atlanta Falcons were just a game out at four and eight, and all four of their wins had actually come in the division. So, really, kind of showed how poor of a division that was last year. So, with a couple of breaks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers possibly in the running for a playoff position, he even challenging for a division title this year. Who knows? They're not that far away. But James Winston is the franchise quarterback, is the guy that Tampa Bay is going to be hanging its hat on, probably be starting right out of the gate for the upcoming season. Pick two, that's where we thought things were going to get very interesting. Um, As I alluded to in the last mock, I had said that the Tennessee Titans would select Marcus Mariota. Um, I thought that if a deal was imminent with some of the teams we had heard about, San Diego and the the Rumors surrounding Phillip Rivers. The Cleveland Browns and the two picks they had at number 12 and 19. Philadelphia Eagles and the never-ending affinity for Marcus Mariota to reunite with his head coach Chip Kelly. There were um, possibly even the New York Jets going from 6 to 2. The Chicago Bears and at one point we'd heard about a Jake, you know, the their replacement for Jay Cutler. I had said that if, if any deal was popping, it would be after the Titans had actually picked Mariota a la uh, Eli Manning a few years back. Uh, but it doesn't look like a deal is in place yet. We haven't heard of anything. I'm still not uh, convinced. Not not saying that the Titans are not happy with who they have. But don't be surprised in the next day or two if we actually hear about a possible trade or, or something actually happening on the QB front. I don't think things are completely, quote, dead. Uh, but I think now it's a, it's a little unlikely. I think that if a deal was going to go down for Marcus Mariota from another team, Uh, probably about a 60 to 75% chance it would happen during the night of the draft, during the first round, um, after they had made the selection. But, of course, none of that has happened. So, as of right now, it looks like the Titans have their quarterback in Marcus Mariota at number two. At number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars probably should have stayed with my earlier mock draft where I had Dante Fowler. Um, The defensive end from uh, Florida, who has said all along he would be very, very surprised if he went past Jacksonville. He was convinced for probably about the last month, month and a half, that the Jaguars were going to select him. Where I had, actually, Jacksonville going for a long time. Late, I I must admit that I changed that up. I had them going Amari Cooper. We heard more and more talk about Amari Cooper there. I really thought it was more of a smoke screen. I thought that some of this was actually happening in order to kind of get a team to trade with Jacksonville. Maybe afraid that the uh, Raiders were going to take Amari Cooper and get a wide out for Derek Carr. Ultimately, that's what they did with, with Cooper not being the selection. And that Jacksonville could move back a few spots. I said Todd Gurley would be a great, uh, a great target for them if they moved back somewhere in like the 8 to 11 range. He actually ended up going number 10, so he did go about where, where we thought he would go. But uh, Jacksonville, in the end, I think that Leonard Williams was the best player available, but they do have um, kind of a log jam at the defensive tackle position. So defensive end was more of a need, and Jacksonville does go along the defensive side of the ball. Dante Fowler is the man. Omari Cooper does go number four. Um, again, someone that we had there for a long time that I not made that last-minute change. But i got to be honest, that is what happened. But I made up for it in the middle, middle of the draft. Don't worry, you'll hear plenty about that. So Cooper, the obvious choice here. I still thought that with Leonard Williams not off the board, you got to make him a pick here. Um, Oakland hit gold last year with Khalil Mack being their uh, top pick, and, and I think we saw by the end of the year just how dominant he could be and what he means to this franchise moving forward, but you can't argue with Amari Cooper. Oakland has needed a wide out for quite some time, so this is viewed, obviously, as a very good pick. Brandon Scherf at number five, again. Had this been a couple of weeks ago, uh, this would have been dead on as well. We had Brandon Scherf there for the longest time. Uh, actually had Scherf at number 10 in the final going to the Rams. Thought that, in our scenario, that Leonard Williams was actually going to fall to Washington. And it looked like that was going to be the pick, but ultimately Leonard Williams goes off the board at number six. Brandon Scherf at number five is the first lineman off the board. A little worried about if there a true position for him. Is he a right tackle? Is he a guard? But he is going to a place where uh, the Redskins have multiple needs along the line. And Jay Gruden really has a philosophy where he seems to want to build that team from the interior out. Um, with things looking like they are settled with Robert Griffin for now, not to say that uh, things can get a little more precarious with RG3 and his contract a little bit down the road. But right now this gives the Redskins possibly some of the pair up with Trent Williams along at the offensive tackle position or move along the interior. So there Williams falls all the way to number six. Kind of curious, We got to applaud the Jets for taking the best player on available uh, available on the board. Actually, Leonard Williams has been number one on our board for all for the entire year. I uh, thought that not only is he the best player available at number six, he was the best player in the entire draft. Even though there's not an immediate need with people like Muhammad Wilkerson, who could be on the training block, Sheldon Richardson, there is a strong interior presence. But with Leonard Williams, uh, he's someone you can move around the line, play in multiple positions. So I think even though he, you know, obviously playing around 300 pounds in that 290 to 300 range, he is someone with a lot of versatility, in the Jets, you know, they land the best player on the board, even though if it wasn't the position of need. One position that was needed, uh, the Chicago Bears at number seven, the hometown for the, for the draft, since the draft was in Chicago for the first time in 51 years. Even though defense is the focal point, we thought all along that with Brandon Marshall actually being traded to the Jets, that uh, looking for the long-term replacement, someone to pair with Alshon Jeffrey was the way to go. We called Kevin White, and that indeed was the pick. Uh, Kevin White is uh, the wide receiver from West Virginia, and again gives another big target, uh, a couple of big targets there with Alshon Jeffrey and Kevin White. Uh, so size, not a problem for the receivers in Chicago. At number eight, Atlanta, we had Bud Dupree here. Um, but Vic Beasley winds up being the pick. Vic Beasley I actually had at number six to the Jets, so when he was still on the board, this did make sense. Vic Beasley actually my number two prospect on the entire board overall behind just Leonard Williams, so obviously I I feel very strongly about Victor Beasley. I think he's a very good fit in Atlanta. Uh, I think Atlanta, the Jets, and the Saints were probably the three most likely teams to actually acquire his services, and somewhere where he would be uh, quite comfortable and kind of fit in. So this looks like a very good pick for Atlanta. A team that if I thought was actually going to move into the top five, Atlanta looked very likely. Uh, they were, But I think once Dante Fowler went at number three, that's the player they really seemed to like. I think Atlanta kind of cooled the jets, realized that one of the pass rushers they were looking for would probably be available, and it was with Victor Beasley. At number nine, this is where things started to go really, really well for my mock draft. Um, I went out on a win and took uh, Eric Flowers. I said that I thought he would be the first offensive lineman off the board and what would be shocking and something you didn't see in a lot of off, uh, mock drafts. Now, he wound up being second because, again, Brandon Scherf did go fifth overall, not tense as I projected, but Eric Flowers did go number nine to the Giants as predicted. Uh, that's a position where, not, again, not a lot of people actually had Eric Flowers there. We saw some Andrews Peets. We saw Brandon Scherf. And, uh, uh, so, again, this was, this was a good call on my part. I'm going, I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. But, again, the Giants do get that tackle. Justin Pugh looks to be very receptive to moving inside. Something it seems like he wants to do probably moves Weston Richburg from the guard position to center. So the, the Giants kind of taking the page out of that Dallas playbook and, and really kind of building that line, something we saw Dallas work to perfection over the last three years and ultimately culminate in an NFC title last season. At number 10, this is where things started to get interesting. Todd Gurley, uh, we thought he'd be a top-ten pick. The Rams did not seem like the likely team, but you kind of got to like the thinking here. One, I do have to say, this is something that uh, I got from a few sources. It looked like... The Miami Dolphins were actually trying to trade into the number 10 position. And again, if you were following our blog, you did see uh, that, that I mentioned that the Dolphins were trying to move up. The Dolphins were trying to move up on the clock, and I had said Todd Gurley was the target. Um, and it, it, it seems like a little while later we got that the terms were for the first-round pick. The Rams would have fallen back four slots. They would have went from 10 to 14 where the Dolphins' pick was they would have acquired a second-round pick in this draft and a fifth-round pick in this draft. So just to move up four spots, the Dolphins would have been given up the second, their second-round pick and their fifth-round pick. I thought that that was a pretty good price, and I was actually surprised at first when it seems the Rams were not biting on the trade. Obviously, they did not. And I was a little bit uh, surprised by that because it looked like uh, Todd Gurley was not on their radar. Well, then we saw why, obviously, Todd Gurley was the pick, and that is who the Dolphins were targeting. So uh, I think maybe not sure if it was because the Dolphins actually got wind that the Rams were going to go in that direction, or if maybe they were scared by the team at number 11, the Minnesota Vikings, and you know we've heard so much about maybe Adrian Peterson being on the move that maybe that's where the Vikings would be going. So I did have Todd Gurley going to the Dolphins at 14 in the mock, um, but I thought there was a chance the Jets take him at 6 or that Miami would have to move up for services, and ultimately that is what they tried to do. The Rams just shut the door, and they take taken themselves at number 10. Number 11, Trey Wayne from Michigan State. Score another one for the mock draft. That is something uh, that we were, I believe, Zach and myself were both very high on. I'd said for a very long time I thought this would be the first corner off the board, With Minnesota, it seemed to make sense. They have a very good, promising young corner in Xavier Rhodes. But getting someone to pair alongside of him, I think, is something that was very important to Minnesota. And, again, you play in a a conference – I'm sorry, in a division where you've got Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers that you're facing four games out of the year. So when a quarter of your schedule is against those elite passers that looks like they can put up 4,500 yards with their eyes closed in a season – Having a couple of good cornerbacks, obviously, is something that's very important. So Trey Waynes, that seemed to be a slam dunk, and indeed it was. At number 12, the Browns did not make a a trade. Of course, they do have the 12-19 and pick. 19 was the pick they got from the Buffalo Bills because of the trade last year involving Sammy Watkins. Danny Shelton is the pick, the defensive tackle from Washington, and guess what? Score another one for the mock draft. A lot of people were thinking receiver, uh, there was uh, you know, obviously some thoughts that one of these picks would be on the defense or maybe along the offensive line. Um, maybe someone in the middle or um, someone to bring some pressure off the edge. But most of the places where I saw Danny Shelton, uh, people were thinking that, that maybe they'd go Danny Shelton or Malcolm Brown with their second selection in the first round at number 19. I'd say that it looks like they really have to make the, Shelton, the move for Shelton early. That's when his services were going to be in the highest demand, and that's what happened. Again, this was a team that was dead last against the run last year. you got to get that big body in the middle, especially when you're playing in the ESC North where running is at a premium year in and year out. So score one for the mock draft there, we had uh, Danny Shelton. Number 13, the New Orleans Saints. They also had two picks, picking at 13 and 31. They stayed put. They did not make a deal either. This one made us scratch our, uh, made us scratch our heads a little bit. Andrews Pete. We had it number 21 to Cincinnati. Uh, offensive line, a little bit surprising, but the, the, the Saints with their defense here, possibly with a pass rusher, maybe with a wide receiver. That's actually where we were in the mock. We had Devontae Parker going here to the Saints. He actually goes with the very next pick to the Dolphins, um, and we thought that that would happen if the Dolphins did not get Todd Gurley. Of course, they tried to trade up for him, and that did not happen. Dante Parker was a very safe secondary selection for them. I think they're happy with that. Uh, But with the Saints and Andres Pete, a little bit surprised, uh, a good lineman, but someone who I thought should have stayed in school another year because, you know, I I thought he was going to be a first round pick, but I thought if Andres Pete had stayed in school, he would have solidified himself as possibly the top lineman in next year's draft. Uh, So he does go 13, which is a little bit higher than I thought, but. And I thought that you were—he had the potential to be a top five pick in his stadium school. But again, 13 going to the New Orleans Saints—not a bad day's work for Andrews. Pete. Again, we talk about Devontae Parker at number 14. The Dolphins looking for some more offensive weapons. Again, this was their secondary selection. They ultimately wanted Todd Gurley. They wind up with Devontae Parker. And speaking of running backs, not only did one go in round one, we had two. We had our first official deal go down. Melvin Gordon goes to the Chargers who move up two spots. They go from number 17 to number 15, uh, ultimately trading with the San Francisco 49ers. who get a few selections. And it's kind of interesting because the first trade that's next was because of a running back. The second trade and the first one to go down involves a running back. So don't want to hear any more talk about running backs being devalued. Just think this was a good year for running backs, and there's still some very good ones on the board, and I think you're going to see plenty during rounds two and three tomorrow, probably in the four to six range. Uh, I think we're going to see multiple runners going every round. But a good pick for San Diego. At number 16, Kevin Johnson, the corner from Wake Forest, goes to the Houston Texans. Uh, we had Cameron Irving here just because I thought uh, for a long time we had a defensive tackle, but I think Cameron Irving, the more – we kind of looked at things. We knew the the Texans were interested, and with, the, uh, with Chris Myers not being around anymore, one of the more unheralded centers in the NFL uh, thought that maybe that would be the, the pick because of Cameron Irving's versatility, but they do get a very, very good corner in Kevin Johnson, and someone who could wind up being one of the, if not the top corners in this draft out of Wake Forest. Uh, he's been one of the dark horse picks that I've had in this entire draft process, very Happy to see him go to the Texans so high. At number 17, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, they take Eric, Arm, uh, Eric Armstead, defensive end slash defensive tackle from Oregon. Immense talent, very young, uh, needs a little bit of seasoning, takes some plays off, but you know there's so many areas you can line him up. And that, I think, is what sold the 49ers because he's so versatile in the fact that they have so many holes to fill along the front seven Players like Chris Borland and Patrick Willis both retiring. Uh, Justin Smith a little bit up in the air. Uh, You've got uh, just so many holes up front there. And actually, score another one for our mock draft. We had Eric Armstead here at number 15. They still take him at 17 after they move back two picks with the Chargers. At number 18, Kansas City Chiefs. They take Marcus Peters. And guess what? Score one for the mock draft again. Again in these middle rounds. Uh, in the middle of this first round, we, uh, we were hot. I was hot. A lot of good picks here. Of course, there big thought that maybe Brashad Perriman would be the pick here, looking for a wide receiver type with, again, Kansas City not having any touchdowns from wide receivers last year. They did make the highly publicized deal to bring in Jeremy Macklin, but we know more receiver help is going to be needed. But I'd said all along, if you really studied what the Chiefs were doing, no team had put in more inquiries about Marcus Peters and his past than the Chiefs. Uh, it had even been reported that Andy Reid went to his hometown, Andy Reid himself, the head coach. Something we usually did not see Andy Reid get involved at that level with the Philadelphia Eagles. So the fact that he was so invested in this player and they were so interested in his background and whether he was going to, quote, be a problem child in the NFL and some of the coaching classes we had heard about, uh, I think it really spoke volumes, and I think it really shows how much pull Andy Reid has in that organization. Uh, I think maybe if he doesn't have the ultimate last word, he's got a, a lot of input because he was pushing for Peters for a long time. We recognized that, and it, it came true, even though it looked like wide receiver was a bigger need. Or you can always call offensive linemen, you know, Andy Reid likes his linemen. And number 19, Cameron Irving, we talked about him at 16, he goes to Cleveland, a little bit surprised here that they did not go with a wide receiver, but again, uh, in this situation, uh, it had been thought that at some point they're going to take a lineman, maybe that was something in round two, that's um, kind of more the area where I thought this would happen, but again, you've got a very versatile person in Cameron Irving, and a lot of uh, games or manpower have been lost by the browns over the last season with injuries especially to their interior line. So the value is there. Um, I think some people will be a little bit upset that they seem to quote ignore the receiver position once again, especially with the legal problems and suspension uh, surrounding Josh Gordon. But they do get very two very good players along the offensive and defensive line in round one. Browns, knowing that playing in the ESC North, you're going to have to win it in the trenches. At number 20, the Eagles. They've been one of the, uh, I'd say, more interesting teams to follow because of all the, all the moves and, and drama surrounding the Eagles and whether they would have the juice to move up for Marcus Mariota. It looked like there was a deal in place where they weren't trying to tra- trade with the Titans. They were trying to trade with the Buccaneers. And it involved multiple first-round picks. It looks like it involved, I'm told, Fletcher Cox, Michael Kendricks, Brandon Boykin, and possibly another player or two. It would have been a huge bounty. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ultimately turned it down. I'm not quite sure if that one is true. There's a little bit of speculation as far as what was actually offered. But we do know the Eagles did offer something, but it looked like it was Tampa Bay, not Tennessee. Also, uh, this was a pick that we, uh, that we kind of changed the last minute. Looking at the board, we thought Nelson Aguilar, uh, the wide receiver out of USC, would be a good fit. But again, the fact that the Eagles lost Jeremy Macklin, this was something I don't think they were banking on. With all the changes that came in the offseason, the Jeremy Macklin situation was something they were hoping to avoid. And lo and behold, Nelson Aguilar is the pick. Score another one for the mock draft. That is a late change we made that actually turned out in our favor. And it's kind of funny because a lot of people compare him to Jeremy Macklin, the person in person that he will ultimately be replacing in Philadelphia. At 21, Cedric Ogbewe, Abue- the offensive tackle from Texas A&M, who at one point was thought to be possibly the top five pick in this draft. Struggled a little bit this season, moving from right tackle to left tackle. Of course, had the ACL tear uh, very, very late in the season, in the bowl game, I believe. And Disney, much like Todd Gurley, he's checked out very well. He kind got of got, saw a stock go back into round one. This was a little bit higher than I thought. Actually had him, I believe, going to Denver uh, near the end of round one. So I thought he was going to creep into round one. This was just a little bit higher than I thought. I thought maybe Carolina at number twenty-five would be the first team, or maybe we heard him mentioned. But he goes to Cincinnati, and that's a team that is looking for offensive line help. Thought that maybe a wide receiver, because we saw just how much they struggled last year in the playoffs when AJ Green suffered from that injury. Uh, they had a couple of injuries actually at the receiver position, and they've struggled mightily. At twenty-two, Bud Dupree goes to Pittsburgh. I don't think. Pittsburgh would have thought he was still there at 22. If Pittsburgh made, it, made a move, I thought it would have been for Kevin Johnson or for Bud Dupree. They often get Dupree, and they don't have to move anywhere. So Pittsburgh comes out on top here. You see, you keep taking these uh, linebackers, uh, trying to get some pressure off the edge. Jarvis Jones has not lived up to expectations. Ryan Chazier seemed to be a pretty good pick for him last year. I think he's going to pan out. But they got another player in Bud Dupree, which I think was a, an area of need. Uh, In the last mock, I actually had Shane Ray going to the Steelers. Shane Ray free fall, I thought the Steelers would win. But that's a great segue because the very next pick was Shane Ray at number 23. And the Broncos actually trade up to get him. They make a deal with the Detroit Lions. They move up five selections and actually send Manny Ramirez, an interior lineman, to Detroit, which is very interesting because, as you'll see with Detroit's pick, they take an interior lineman themselves at 28. But Shane Ray does go in 23 again. We had him at 22, right around the time or where we thought he would fall to. Uh, and as far as Ray, I think uh <laughs> did make a little bit of mention that, of course, the marijuana arrest and the fact that he's going to Colorado where marijuana is legal, but I just think that's kind of ironic. But, uh, you know, you've got uh, some good pass rush uh, right there, of course, with uh, – uh, Demarcus Ware, who they brought in last year, but he is 31 years old. He's obviously getting older, and, uh, you're not gonna get a, a lot of years out of him yet. Um, so you, uh, you plug him in and get another rusher to possibly replace him, uh, pair him with Vaughn Miller for the long term. So, Denver's kinda of banking on Shinrae, keeping his nose clean. At 24, the first pick that came off the board where it was a guy that we didn't have in the first round. I'd heard a lot about him going there, but, I just was unconvinced. Uh, DJ Humphreys, not a fan of this pick whatsoever to Arizona, just because looking at him on film, I just see a guy who really, really needs to get a stronger upper body. I'm not, it just, this does not look like he has an NFL physique to me. He's really, he's really going to struggle and really has to get into the weight room and really work with that upper body. Now, um, Arizona, Was looking along the line. I think maybe defensive line, linebacker. I know they like Eric Kendricks. Did not go in the first round, surprisingly. Uh, But uh, Humphreys is a guy who I think he can play a guard or a tackle, and that's uh, Arizona perpetually always seems to need offensive line help. Another team that needs offensive line help, I thought would go there, number 25, the Carolina Panthers. They don't, but they take the guy who I had actually picked to be the ultimate dark horse in this draft. Shaq Thompson, listed as an outside linebacker, I believe he'll be a safety. Uh, He could kind of be that hybrid and play both places, and it's kind of interesting because Thomas Davis actually comes out to introduce him, Uh, the fact that he won the NFL Man of the Year, the Walter Payton Award last year. He comes out to give the pick, and Shaq Thompson is much like Thomas Davis. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been asked, to do a comparison of Shaq Thomas and why I liked him so much on a couple of shows I'd done recently. And I had actually been asked about a comparison and I said, he plays a lot like Thomas Davis and Thomas Davis is the guy that actually introduces him. Very ironic. Again, not the specific position of need, but I think the Carolina Panthers are really realize what a player you're getting in Shaq Thompson. And again, I feel this is a guy who could Challenge for defensive rookie of the year. I see him making a median impact, much like a Dion Buchanan did for Arizona last year when he went a lot higher and kind of pushed his way up the board late. Uh, the safety out of Washington State and just played a heck of a a a heck of a season for Arizona. At 26, Brashad Perriman. Brett Perriman's son finally goes off the board, 26 to the Ravens. This is where I had Byron Jones. Uh, Brashad Perriman was someone that the Ravens had liked. I just think that uh, they thought that they were probably going to go in another direction because they thought Perriman would be off the board. I actually had him at 19 to the Cleveland Browns when he was there. I I think they just thought it was a little too much value. They get a very big target, obviously someone who ran a sub-4-3 multiple times at pro day going in, so speed, not a problem with Perriman. Becoming a more complete and all-around wide receiver is what they need. Again, the player I had picked for the Ravens at 26 was Byron Jones, and he goes with the very next pick, number 27, to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, a little bit concerned with what they've gotten out of Morris Claiborne or the lack thereof, I should say, the last few years. So getting a player like Byron Jones, who was flying up the boards, just with his overall athleticism, uh, is a good pick for, for Dallas. Uh, he really has safety size and can play corner, so it's, it's freakish that if he as his skills match up with the intangibles and the physical uh, aspects he brings to the game, this is going to be one heck of a pick. At number 28, again, Detroit had dropped back five spots from 23 to 28 in their deal with Denver. They had already acquired an interior lineman in Manny Ramirez, and they go there again. Lakin Tomlinson, the guard from Duke, is the first true guard off the board really shows uh, what Detroit is looking at. Uh, the fact that they get two interior linemen out of the uh, the first round and what they've done, uh, I think it really shows that Detroit is committed to keeping Matthew Stafford upright. And I think also a team that we're going to see in the second or third round take a running back uh, next year, or I, I should say tomorrow. And the fact that uh, Reggie Bush has moved on, he's in San Francisco, I think they still want someone to kind of pair with Joy Bell and, make sure they have a long-term solution at running back. What a better way to do that than get a couple of guards that should hopefully be on your roster for a few years to come. At 29, Philip Dorsett, Miami of Florida, the wide receiver. A little bit on the short side, but uh, plenty of speed. I think next to Brashad Perriman, probably the fastest wide receiver in this draft. Someone who uh, Mike uh, Aikens, friend of the show and uh, big Miami Hurricane supporter, I said that he really liked that uh, Dorsett. He's, he's got tons of potential. was a little bit lazy after the freshman season when he kind of broke out and was a little bit inconsistent, but he has all the speed you're looking for. A lot of teams are very high on him. I thought that uh, he could have been targeted pretty 31. Uh, Sean Payton in New Orleans seemed to really, really like him and someone they could pair with Brandon Cooks for, for years down the road. Uh, but Dorsett goes at 29. This is where I had Landon and Collins falling. Falling, it's kind of funny because – Collins actually doesn't go in the first round, which is a little bit surprising. We knew he was making a free fall, just not quite this far. At 30, we actually did have the first safety off the board. Demarius Randle out of Arizona State, more of a free safety type. Uh, a lot of the top prospects in this draft at safety seem to be strong safeties, but um, Demarius Randall again, um, suddenly just had a meteoric rise, went from probably a fifth or sixth-round pick being a first-rounder in probably the last three weeks, I thought that uh, Philadelphia, number 20, might be a team that was interested in their services, possibly even Dallas at 27. Um, Again, the first true safety, I still think Shaq Thompson, we're going to see him play some safety, the player who was selected by Carolina at 25. Number 31, again, we talked about the Saints and just how they made some head-scratching decisions. Uh, I was a little bit surprised. Andres Pete seemed a little overvalued. They picked Stephon Anthony, the linebacker from Clemson, who uh, looked to be a late second-round pick. I know that a lot of teams had liked him and he had gained value, but this was just seemed to be way too high for him, especially with a player like Eric Kendricks still on the board. I thought Kendricks could be a guy they target here, and they do go for the position. They go for that inside linebacker, but they take Anthony out of Clemson. Very surprised by this. If I had to pick a loser for the first day, just over what I see an initial assessment, I have to say the Saints, and that's kind of rare to say when you're saying it about a team that has two picks. And uh, both kind of left me scratching my head a little bit. Uh, a little bit, uh, con- I can say a little bit concerned with what I saw there. Hopefully New Orleans sees some things in these players that fit their scheme that maybe are not quite apparent to some of us here uh, in prognosticating this draft. And at 32, the New England Patriots, when I'd seen what had happened, Malcolm Brown, the defensive tackle out of Texas, I ultimately had going to the Lions at number 23. Um, one of the areas we had said that the Patriots would look would be at defensive tackle, trying to find that heir apparent to Vince Wilfork, who's now a Texan. In the last mock, I actually had them taking Eric Rowe out of Utah because they lost both their starting corners after their Super Bowl win Brandon Browner and Jarrell Revis, but when I was looking at the board, when everything was shaking out, I said, wow, I can't believe Malcolm Brown is still on the board. This would be a perfect, perfect pick for the Patriots, and if you were following the blog and you saw about 10 minutes before the pick, I said, wow, Malcolm Brown is going to wind up as a Patriot just because that's what the Patriots do. Uh, At that point, I figured that they're not going to trade, which they do about half, uh, over 50% of the time with Bill Belichick. But lo and behold, um, (laughs) score one for the gut feeling that I had there, that's exactly what the Patriots do. They take Malcolm Brown again. This is why they're the Patriots. This is why they win so many rings. This is why they, year in and year out, are perennial contenders for the AFC title and the Super Bowl title because they just make smart decisions. They... Look at what's available. They do what's best for their team in the short and the long run. It's just amazing. I can't believe the Patriots seem to do this every year. And even though they pick at 32, they come out to me as one of the ultimate winners because I think Malcolm Brown is probably in the 10 to 15 range as far as overall prospects I felt in this draft. And, again, the perfect. Perfect replacement for Vince Wilfork. Kudos for the Patriots. Again, we've kind of gone over the first round there. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to our assessment here. Again, come back tomorrow. We are going to give a preview for the second and third round. It will also be posted. The second and third round mock will be up tomorrow. And again, follow us during the draft. I'll be doing plenty of blogging as I did this evening. With uh, we had a lot of a lot of. Tw- uh, and posts go out. Uh, I hope you were following again the blog or you were at draftsite.com with the uh, uh, with the Twitter account. We were definitely there giving you the inside scoop on a couple of things and actually uh, again, the mock draft was, was looking good. So with our second and third round update that we're going to have tomorrow hopefully we do as well as we've done with today's. So we're only a third of the way done. Well Less than a third of the way, but one of the three days. But I uh, look forward to talking to everyone tomorrow. Sleep well, everyone, and uh, there will be more NFL action tomorrow to report here at DraftSide.com. I'm DJ Boyer. Have a great night, everyone.